Where do the biggest innovation opportunities come from for financial brands? Do they come from within the organization or perhaps do they come from going all in on people by asking good questions, listening to what they have to say, and then learning through observation? Let's find out together on today's episode of Banking on Digital Growth. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Jamie Punishill to the show. Jamie is the Chief Market Officer at Encino, the worldwide leader in cloud banking. With nearly three decades of experience in technology and financial services, Jamie is an expert in operationalizing design thinking and translating new concepts and trends into workable business plans and operations to deliver pragmatic innovation within a large enterprise. And today, we're going to dive deep into practical innovation that leads to practical transformation to guide you, dear listener, so that you can maximize future growth at your bank, at your credit union, or at your fintech. Welcome to the show, Jamie. It is good to share time with you today, buddy. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Before we get into practical innovation that leads to practical transformation and change, what's good in your world right now? Personally or professionally, it is always your pick to get started on a positive note. Wow, boy, I, I'm, my life's hitting on all cylinders. I got to be honest with you right now. You know, I'm eight months into the, this new job. It's everything you know, the, uh, the, the, as a prospect and a customer, there was no difference in what I was, you know, sold and, and what I bought. And we're eight months into, you know, a good, serious transformation with all kinds of organizational support. So I'm, you know, I'm, of course, my, my hair is coming out and, you know, it's the big dig around here right now, but, um, but in the best possible way, because um, yes. it, it's, it's, you know, the transformation is really coming together and it's just such a good company um, that I'm super excited about that. And I sent my second child off to college in, uh, in uh, late August. So I'm now an empty nester. Um, both I'm watching my children, you know, grow into young adults in college and they're being super successful. And at the same time, my wife and I are enjoying adulting without kids, um, which is, uh, which is a ton of fun, includes trips to Vegas to go see Muse like I did this past weekend. So I got no complaints, man. That's so exciting. And it gives me a little bit of hope because right now my wife and I, we're in the thick of things with, uh, four, four little ones that are, they're tw- everyone's about to age up. So we'll have 13, 11, nine and seven. Oh, you um, are in it. So we are right in it. But from what I hear, it's like when you get to the other side, it's, it's, it's that, it's that empty nesting. It's adulting without kids. I really like that. And you can take those surprise trips every now and then, and just go experience life from a different perspective with all of the experiences that you've gained up to that point. Now, speaking about experiences, you, you mentioned you're eight months into this journey at Encino and you're talking about transformation, and that's what I want to focus on today, not just transformation, but practical transformation through the lens of financial services. I want to take a step back. 
transformation versus change and change management or digital change management. What's the difference between change and transformation? Is there, is there not? That's a really good question. I'm not sure I've spent that much time thinking about it. You know, I suppose much like there's innovation, big I and innovation, small I, yeah. people will have that debate forever. I tend to be a innovation is this big thing. And, yeah. you know, there's sort of this linear change. And maybe that's the same thing here. Maybe transformation describes something a little bigger. You know, I always think about change management as the process and, you know, the activities we have to do to support the journey of growth and transformation. I am no academic expert, so we can leave the, the verbiage debates, but that's at least how I think about it. The reason I'm asking is that I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and, and talking with financial brand leaders to get their take too of how they look at transformation versus change or change management. Because if we think about like transformation has been the big word for the last you know five, 10 years or so within the vertical, but I think about change and I ask people, you know, do you, do you like change? Do you, do you want to change? Um, even you're mentioning in our pre-conversation about Gary uh, Hamill and yeah. his idea around change. And they're like, no, I, if I think about it, and they're honest, like, I'm, I don't, I'm not crazy about changing. I'm, I'm, I'm good where I'm at right now. Don't move my cheese kind of a thing. And I said, well, what about transformation? Thinking about growing from good to great to achieving something even higher or more existential. Yeah, I think I'm a little bit more open to that idea of transformation being, like you said, I think back to your words, being a bigger, more ethereal view. So that's where my my question, that's what my question is rooted in of like the perspective that we all bring to bear. Because sometimes change can be viewed as as painful. It can be viewed as, as scary or uncomfortable. What's your experience been? Because if we come back to what you were sharing with about Gary Hamill um, and his perspective, what, what you heard a few years ago, you know, change change can sometimes be hard. Well, look, I, I don't think this is an either or; it's an and both, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, just to, to to reframe, you know, I listen. I heard Gary, who, you know, famous author, um, and he had written about or he, had, he was talking about this idea of change and how. People talk about, oh, humans don't want to change. Like humans are this incredibly adaptable species. And he's right about that at a macro level. But, yeah. you know, at an individual level, it's a little easier just to do the same thing, right? right? We all have those moments where we don't want to push through, whether that's getting up in the morning and going to work out, adapting our diet because we're getting a little older and turns out it's just a little harder to, <laughs> to stay the same weight or it is, you know, leading your bank or right. functioning your bank through, through a phase. So, I mean, change is inevitable. The biggest yeah. difference I think for me is just the, the rate at which change is happening around us has now accelerated so rapidly. I don't even think it's optional anymore. Right. So the, to, to me, and, and again, maybe this is just my purview, but I don't think it's optional. I think it's accelerating its pace. And so the, the only question is, how does it feel to be on that treadmill, yeah. um, right? And at which point is the treadmill going so fast that you just get thrown off, which yeah. I think is happening you know, to more and more folks, surprise, 20 years into a career, 25 years into a career, suddenly finding themselves pushed aside. And you know we've got the threat of AI, quote, the threat of, of, of AI around the corner, but it's going to press. 
Yes. It's going to press on folks who, who, who aren't adapting and transforming. So at least from my perspective, I just look at this as the state of being. We are in a state of being. It's how to teach my kids. You're going to almost reinvent yourself or you're certainly going to be on a continuous path of growth for the next, for the rest of your life. So yes. Em- embrace it. It's an interesting point, I think, for me, because if I look back to 1994 as an inflection point in history where Internet reached the mass consciousness of humanity, and then now here we are, uh, and at that time I was probably a sixth or seventh grader, so I was like, wow, what is this? And I saw all the possibilities, but here I am now at 41, um, November 30th, 2022, chat GPT, uh, AI is now reaching the mass consciousness of humanity, I'm having to do a little bit of gut check in my own self of, well, how am I adapting my, not just behavior, but my mindset. And I think even more specifically my belief systems, because that is what is informing my actions and my habits on the other end of the spectrum. So it's a great point you're talking about when you're thinking of even your kids, it's like, you know, just continuously focused on growth transformation um, at a core level. And as you've come into Encino, I know you've spent a tremendous amount of time talking uh, to people, talking to customers. I always appreciate a good listening tour because there's no better way to unlock new insights that lead to practical transformation than by talking to people. And one of the insights that you found was there's a, a, a growing recognition of financial brand leaders that, yeah, we've adopted new technologies, but we haven't necessarily experienced a lot of transformation. Why? Why is that, do you think? And what are you hearing on this front? Well, I will tell you that every new technology that gets introduced, the very first thing that we do is the same thing using the new tool. Mm. Um, And this is just true of humanity. You study history, you study any technological change throughout history, you're struck by two things, right? Usually somebody else got the technology first and didn't do something with it. Mm. And then some third party finds a new use for it and changes everything. And so, you know, and, and when I was at Forrester, we'd actually did, did a bunch of research. We called the technographics back then. Uh, it was the first time we sort of, cons- you know, first company to, to survey people's technology adoption habits. And what they, and then we studied it for people under the age of 16 versus people over the, or maybe it was under 20, whatever it was, some young break. And what they, they, the thing that always stuck with me about that research that I think is applicable here is it was adults adopt technology, young people internalize it. Ooh. And I'll give you a unbelievable, a fantastic example about this, right? If, and you will, if you haven't already, you will start to experience it given your children's age. When your kids first get cell phones, mobile phones, and you watch them with their other friends, you will watch them sit around in a group. And they'll all be on the phone. And us old people will look at that and say, guys, you're right there next to your friends. Would you stop staring at the screen? Talk to your darn friends. Um, And I did this, um, admittedly. And I watched for a little while. And I asked my kids about it. And then I realized, oh, no, I'm the idiot. They figured out the hybrid world long before the rest of us. So they're on their phones because they're including all of the friends who couldn't come out that night who had to stay home or had another commitment. And so they're literally saying, oh, did you see what Sophie said in the chat? And then they look to their friend and then Sophie's voice is now there present with them because they've got this hybrid, you know, this person who's now remote, but who can now be included in the friend group is still contiguous. 
Now you think mm. about the struggles we have as organizations trying to figure out hybrid work. Teenagers have the plan if we just bother to look and listen. The way in which I, th I still handwrite edits on pieces of paper. I print documents and handwrite them. I don't know that I'll ever change that particular mode, but especially because I've been doing it for so long. And a lot of my young people look at me and say, can't you just like edit it? put the comments in word and, and right. nope, sorry. It's just not how I roll, but that's, that's a micro example of a big macro thing. Absolutely. Um, and we see that we see this in banking, right? Yeah. We have lots of online banking. We have lots of online account opening. Did we bother to rethink that account opening? Did we make it faster? Um, why do we use a signature? Why? In fact, why 20 something years after e-signature was authorized? Are we still signing documents? Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown. Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com university to apply. I want to get your take on this because I think your experience speaks to the ability to continuously transform oneself based upon, you know, market, uh, technology, uh, you know, you go back, you talk, you use the financial advisor example, you started there and now you're where you are today. If you think back over the last 30 some odd years, how have you continuously have transformed yourself as an individual, as a leader, to then be able to help lead others through transformational initiatives? Yeah, well, you know, you said something earlier, which I think, you know, is at the core of it, which is part of it's a mindset. I was encouraged to be curious and to learn. And so I've been fortunate to be able to have that encouragement and I just stuck with it. If you look at my resume backwards, it almost looked like I planned on having this job in this spot. Um, I assure you there was nothing planful about it. Um, you know, I wasn't one of these people who could look forward 30 years or 50 years and write my obituary. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I see, I know that people get encouraged to do that. That's just not how at least I look at the world, but I've looked at the world at, I want to do interesting things, things I can be excited and passionate about when I see them and I latch on to them, then you kind of have to ride that wave because you don't quite know where it's going to take you. And, right. and so I think for me, it has been recognizing the moments where I see that the things I was trying to do were impeded because I was missing some skills or I needed to grow in some way or I needed to add some experience. And so I said, all right, how am I going to get there? Is it on the path I'm on or do I need to take a path, a different path? I think more than most, I've been willing to, because I'm, I'm a Gen X with a Gen Y resume, um, right? I've got like 14 companies I've worked for because I kept saying, oh, I need P&L experience. I can't get that here. How am I going to go at get P&L experience? Because that's going to be important for me to be a manager. Oh, I need to manage a global team. Okay, where can I go find that experience? And I think too many people, and I see this with a lot of my young employees, they let the career manage them, they're not managing their career, which is another way of saying they're not managing their own growth. 
Yeah. Well, one of the other things too, and, and you referenced this in our pre-conversation and you just touched on this, but being, being curious, being a lifelong learner for those that are listening to the audio, uh, behind you, it looks like my office, you have books and books and, and more books time. I think about a financial brand leader, uh, you know, someone in the C-suite, they're just busy. Um, they got a, you know, a thousand things to do. They're never going to get through their, their whole checklist. I even have read research to where if you're a senior level executive, you'll, you're typically have two to four weeks work always in the pipe. Um, and you just come, come to accept and prioritize that. But from a prioritization standpoint, from your experience, how do you prioritize continuous lifelong learning to gain not necessarily new experience because you do that through the doing, but to gain new perspective that can then transform your thinking to then transform the way you do things. I, and look, I think this is in many ways, it's no different than other critical decisions you have. If you care about your, you care about your, your physical well-being, you carve out time for working out. I mean, just, or or exercise whatever it is your no negotiation you know, on that yeah you just you just can't right i mean and you say all right that means i've got to make other trade offs right yeah. there are other things that i can't do i think you're absolutely right you know and i was fortunate to have some really good mentors along the way you know probably when i was really starting to finally climb the ladder who helped me see this wasn't about keeping all the balls in the air mm. it was about knowing which ones you can let drop because you can't keep the ball in the air. And so, you know, let the ones that drop that aren't that important that you can recover from and, you know, die on the hill when you can't recover from it. Um, that's the place to make the stand. And so now that's hard. Yeah. It is really hard to watch things go out the door that you know would have been better if you had your hands on them. But I can't review every piece of copy that goes through the system. There's too much going through the system. So now the art is figuring out where I need to look. But to that point, then I also just believe you have to invest. I, you know, I say five to 10% of your time has to be in learning mode. Mm. It makes me better at everything I do, like how I counsel my team, how I lead as a remote manager while we're going back to this hybrid universe, right? right? How I help the team think about campaign strategy yes. or how to help us frame up how our customers can think about their transformation. Because if I want them to change, we need to help them. That helps them choose us versus another provider. So how do I do that without really understanding the changes and the trends that our customers are going through? How might thinking and our thinking behaviors need to transform as we're continuing to move through a period of exponential change when historically our thinking for the most part as, as, as leaders, as, as human beings, it's kind of on a linear path, but everything else is happening at a pace that we can't perceive. At least now, if I think about, you know, to, to chat GPT, November 30th, 2022, how fast it's, it's moving through iterations. Um, it's, I mean, my mind is now getting boggled and I'm learning to essentially just ride the wave and be kind of cool with riding the wave and trying to stay on top of the wave and not have the wave, you know, suck me down and take me under um, with, with, with that analogy. But wh 
where might we have opportunities to optimize our thinking when it comes to innovation, change, and transformation as financial brand leaders? So I, I guess I'll answer it, to, or I'll offer two thoughts. One is, I think inherent in your in the way you just phrased the question is a belief system that a lot of people have historically, which is mm-hmm. you learn something and then you execute something. And, you know, and I think people hit a point in their career where, okay, I've kind of at the top. Now I just need to ride that wave. That's a mindset and certainly probably worked at some point in time. I don't know how that works today. Right. I don't, I don't think, you know, the, I mean, imagine if you were a writer five years ago, right. You know, how do you, how do you view chat GPT? Yeah. You know, by the way, and this is a total aside, but it's something I always I, I hone in on when people get worried about this stuff. I, I don't know if you, you probably remember this. Right around 2000, when we all started to be able to buy our own plane tickets, we all heard about the death of the travel agent. Absolutely. There are more travel agents today than there were in the year 2000. Now, their business model was 95% airline ticket fees in nope. 2000, and today it's 5%. And like everything else that tech wouldn't technology is able to apply to it, what happens is you get much more volume and with the volume comes all kinds of new things. And so now travel agents, you know, are, we're, we're all traveling more. We're going to more exotic places. Well, guess what? Now we need help when we get there and, and, and drive those experiences. And so I think this is a, that the tools are going to change. The process is going to change. The value add you have will change, but the role is the role. Right. We're still going to need writers. They may be more editors um, and there may be some really interesting writing. We're going to get rid of a lot of bad writers is what's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of bad writing that goes away because the machine will be better at leveling everybody up to some sort of, you know, median, whatever. I like it also be harder to separate. Sure. And, And I like the perspective you're sharing here. And this is where the Socratic kind of wisdom comes back in my mind. I know I know nothing um, and almost having to do a level set um, and back to your, tr- you know, travel agent example. Why do we have more? Well, it, it, there's an abundance. There's an abundance of places that we could go. Well, we know that choice breeds complexity and too many choices leads to no choice. And so I need someone who has the knowledge, who has the wisdom, who has the expertise, the experience to make my experience that much better. I think that's the the opportunity here when we're thinking about financial services. Expertise is going to still be needed in a digital world, in the age of AI, through the lens of banking, but come back to thinking, come back to mindset. Because when I look at what has happened historically, at least up to this point in time, when it comes to applying new technologies. Those technologies are often viewed as a quote unquote project. It's something on a checklist, a strategic checklist. We we go and we get the thing and then we apply the thing and then we check that thing off the list and then we're back to the thing that we were doing before. Why have we operated like this? And is that a sustainable path going forward into the future when it comes to, to transformation? Well, I mean, boy, that's a complicated question with a lot of layers to it. You know, I I mean, one, I think it's human nature um, to write the change piece. It comes with it's work and it's and it comes with some risk. 
Mm. Right. Go back to the fear of messing up and the fear of missing out. Right. Yeah. So part of it is, you know, are, is your organization, do you create the environment for your teams to experiment? And, and actually, you know, you use this word and, and you know, lots of people do this. I, and I'm trying to purge it from my vocabulary. The idea of there was a failure to me, failure is only to not have tried things and learned from them. That's failure. Um, it is that an experiment or an attempt didn't, wasn't perfect and didn't go well, shouldn't in and of itself be defined as a failure. And I mean, this is the whole premise, obviously, of of agile anything, but certainly of agile development, right? Which is get feedback, get something out there to get feedback early enough, take the feedback, mold and adapt. Yep. And that kind of agility, frankly, it requires operating at a different level and it's persistent it never it's it's continuous it is not there's not a a project to your point right. there's not a, not a time where i learn and then a time where i do yeah there are just i'm learning and doing and learning and doing and learning and doing and learning and doing right in 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 the idea of failure the way that i view that you know um in in uh, we had another guest talk about what well, failure. That's just a tuition that we're going to pay to continue to stay relevant and viable and not just survive, but thrive. I look at failure as the fertile seeds that we plant for future growth going forward into the future. It's only a failure back to your point. If, if, if we don't learn from it, you know, when, when you look at, at, at roadblocks um, around innovation, practical innovation, practical transformation, what are some of the roadblocks that, a leader should be mindful of that could deter them from maximizing future growth through practical innovation that leads to practical transformation. I mean, I think so much of what the roadblocks are the ones they have erected themselves Mm. with their teams about what ideas can be proposed, how they could be proposed and how you will or won't support somebody through the introduction and the execution of that. I'll give you a super tactical one. You know, I've been, you know, introduced a new tool. I've introduced probably 20 new tools to my team, you know, in the last few months, but I started with one, you know, in December and they're like, okay, geez. You know, I was like, great. So I want it live by, you know, company kickoff, which is February 1st. They're like, no way. There's no way we can think this all through. I said, guys, don't. You have no, you don't even know what, you don't really even know what tool I've given you. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Just think about the literally the de minimis, the MVP, just get it live and then see what happens. Right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold anybody accountable for it goes live and it's not perfect. Yeah. Get it out there and then learn. And then come back to me and say, here's all the new ways that we can we can use it. I started saying this because, you know, recently, which is, you know, this is my new Mr. Miyagi style of change management, right? Which is, I'm not even <laughs> like, partly because the gap is, I'm trying to move fast and the team's got a big gap. So I'm like, great, you know what? I could spend months trying to tell them what we're doing and educate them or I could just start having them paint fences and wax cars. And next thing you know, they're karate experts. Um, right. And, and, you know, it's, 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 it's both funny, but it is actually kind of true in right. this change time. Let's learn by doing. 
Um, now, you know, banks, I mean, it'll be easy. There's an easy pushback here. Oh, man, we're regulated. The regulators won't look kindly on that. Regulators, you know, the very thing that causes us, the regulators to move slow is, and defining rules around this new stuff actually is their desire. I've spent a lot of time with the regulators. They don't want to pour concrete when things are still so new and unknowable. Now, that creates risk for all of us because nobody wants to be the precedent. You know? So you've got to be careful about how you do that. But the truth is, there is a lot of the regulators know they need a vibrant, innovative financial services system. Yes. We just have to try to protect the edges from calamity. Yeah. And that's true even inside of a corporation, right? We don't want to put the main revenue line at risk, you no. know, with some huge bet that we haven't, you know, built and learned and proved. Sure. But there's all kinds of ways to test and learn and grow and build on top of. You know, I think about the Mr. Miyagi analogy that's, that's beautifully stated, um, paint fences, wax cars, sand decks, um, and just do it. In, in, and I think it's really decide and then do it. I think about uh, one chief marketing officer at a financial brand who is in our digital growth university with their organization. They spent maybe six or seven months having discussions around picking a CRM and then nothing came to fruition. And I'm like, well, what if you just decided and then you just did it and it was done through the lens of a pilot program, um, you know, minimizing risk. And we're not talking organizational transformation. It might just be for a very tiny little product line. And then you get some feedback from it. And then we learn and we can apply that learning to the next product line, to the next product line, or the next like, oh, we never really thought of it like that. We we're thinking through the whole big picture um, that, you know, we we want to get to the All-Valley Tournament to fight Johnny and the Cobra Kai when in reality we should have just been waxing cars and, and painting fences. When, when you think about this idea of uh, trying and iteration and optimization, the big opportunity that you see looking ahead to the future for those that, that make the commitment to decide to do. What's the big opportunity in your mind in the present moment looking out towards the future? You said something earlier that reminded me of my favorite quote that I actually think has never been more pertinent than to today. It's the old William Gibson quote. The future is already here, just unevenly distributed. Everything that we're talking about, I mean, AI, just to put it in perspective, Turing right? In addition to being considered the father of modern computing was the father of what we now consider AI. This mm -hmm. is the 40s. Um, the very first machine translation um, engine was built, right, in the early 1960s. It's only now that, and, and by the way, they predicted there would be no human translators by like, you know, 1970 or something. They were slightly off. Um, we're only now getting to really good machine translation and, 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 and what have you. You don't, but you don't know what the rate of the stuff is, is, is going to sort of get to. So you have to start with, we're in a learning continuous change world. If you don't agree with that premise, you've already you could almost ignore almost everything I've said because you've just decided we're in a different world than the one sure. that I think we're in. But if you buy that premise, and if you've been enduring sort of the last 20 years, I don't know how you don't buy that premise, then you have to shift to say, yeah. I can't know the end 
I know I know the end is I need some sort of successful tool to manage my customer relationship. I need a 360 degree view. I don't know exactly what the 360 degree view is. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I don't know exactly everything that needs to go in it, but I know what that end state needs to be. Okay. How do I start setting down some building blocks and knowing then, and again, this goes to a conversation we're having a little earlier. What are the, what are the choices that are unrecoverable from that I can't change, that's concrete that's got to get ripped out of the ground. Yeah. Those I got to be really careful about. Um, and everything else I can move fast on, right? Yeah. So like we're we're moving, this is a super tactical example. We're building a new website right now. Big discussion with my IT folks and my InfoSec folks and my tech folks, you know, my um, uh, privacy folks, because we're going with a headless CMS. Yep. And, and our cyber insurance company asks for certain things that were predicated on the old web stack. We don't need them in the new web stack. The literally there is no risk because of the way it's built. But the questionnaire only knows how to look at the old world, not the new world. Right. Um, and so now how do we manage that? Um, it might be sign a shorter contract. Let's take a chance to see what we can do. If it doesn't work out or they can't meet you know, some requirement we've got, awesome, then we make a switch. Yeah. We can we can live with that business risk for a year, and if it doesn't work out, you know we we know where the risk is. They're not getting into my systems. They're not getting customer data. Um, great, that's a livable risk. Sure, right? The regulators will accept that risk. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I shouldn't be you know experimenting with my approach to SSO with full access to my entire <laughs> data store. Right? <laughs> um, there's a good one to say. Let's find a safer place to test the new thing out. So Absolutely. to me, that's more about a how than a what. Yeah, and they get they get confused a lot. Yeah, yeah. On that idea of of how versus what, as we start to wrap up here, I like to send the dear listener off with something practical that they can do today because all future growth starts with a very small commitment in the present moment. And since we've been talking about practicality, practical innovation that leads to practical transformation, what is one small commitment that they can make as a financial brand leader, as a bank leader, as a credit union leader, as a fintech leader to continue to move forward and make progress say over the next just six to 12 months when it comes to practical innovation that leads to practical transformation? Boy, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, think by doing, you know, kind of biased person. Um, so, you know, and you mentioned chat GPT is a fantastic example of, by the way, don't rush out, stick all your business documents and data into a public version of chat GPT. Right. But call up Jasper or call a writer, right? Or there's a million of these things. Go get yourself a contract, find a safe space, go spend $10,000, $20,000, whatever the heck it is, and experiment with the thing, right? Yeah. Or on your own time, go find some safe thing to do with ChatGPT. Because I go back to, you can't, you the, the, the Henry Ford aphorism, which is beaten to death but but actually is is in many ways it's it's like at the core of design thinking and it's it, most people miss the key principle right if i'd asked people what they want they would have told me a faster horse right the humans are actually very good at describing their needs and their pains the humans were very clear i need to go from a to b faster 
what we're not good at is describing a world we don't know yeah. or something that doesn't exist yet. So why did they say a faster horse? Because that's how we go from A to B. Correct. You got all the information you needed, the pain and the need. The form factor was what was now, now you need to experiment say, okay, if I was going to try can I make a horse run faster? Or is there some mechanical thing that can go faster than a horse? Yeah. We, the, I think most of this stuff, we don't even know. Going back to the Mr. Miyagi thing, I have no idea exactly how generative anything, generative AI, generative writing, you know, et cetera, will ultimately play itself out. But what I'm sure of, just like calculators, is that's going to be very important for how I do math. Yes. <laughs> um, r r right. Um, and so we should just start using it and trying to find safe places to experiment. Yeah. We know we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. So let's go figure out what we don't know and start to think about how we use it. In the last six months, I will tell you, I've probably have six of my vendor partners who've now come out with some sort of generative thing that didn't mm -hmm. exist six months ago. Right. Right. I, I mean, geez, you you know, that's an awful lot of stuff coming our way. You better have a team looking at that, thinking about it. And yes. I think what's hard for banks in particular, and there are several industries that are like this, governments are like that. You're serving all the generations. Right. So, and, and often your revenue line or the bulk of your, what you consider your most important customers or whatever, are the oldest, most staid, whatever. Yes. Um, and so it's hard to, how do you skew both to the future of your bank and the current part of your bank? It's a hard, it's a, it's a, it's a hard trade-off, yeah. right? PNC, by the way, years ago, you may remember, created something called Virtual Wallet. Yes. And they did that. It was, it was a Kinsey project, um, sorry, an IDEO project. I think it was IDEO. IDEO project, how to serve the millennials, young millennials who were not signing up new checking accounts. Um, they created it just for that universe. When they rolled it out, what they discovered was they had just solved the problems of checking accounts and 70% of their new checking accounts were coming in through virtual wallet, partially because it was young people and partially because in trying to solve the problems of young people, we just solved the problems that we wouldn't have thought to solve, but they were actually in the way. We right. just, you know, there's this concept of learned helplessness. Yes. Um, so that I think is the is a great way, a practical way is go find the part of your customer base that isn't has an has implied change to it or is looking for something new and try something new. You don't have to try it on everybody. Yeah. You know, and to, to, to kind of summarize that the future is created based upon the decisions that we make in the present moment. And if we're continuously thinking out towards the future, you know, I, I love the, you know, it, it, when you come to the Henry Ford example, I, I think about Steve Jobs too. Steve Jobs didn't ask, you know, because people could not perceive at the time taking a cell phone, an internet communication device and a music player and then wrapping them all into one. And I remember that keynote. It's, it's like vivid in my head when he came out. It was very clear, and it was also he used a little bit of Omni Try and Perfect them. All good things come in threes, so that did help on the communication cadence there. And then we were able to ah, now I get it, now I understand, and it unlocked a whole new areas of innovation that weren't there pre two thousand seven. And if you think about what has happened since two thousand seven, built around kind of that ecosystem, it's just it's hard. So the future is created based upon the present or the moments that the actions that we make in the present moment, speaking about the actions that one can make in the present moment, how can they connect with you, Jamie? Cause this has been a, just a fantastic conversation. It's been a great discussion. 
Uh, how can they connect with you? Best way is to find me on LinkedIn. Punishill is a made-up name. There's only four of us in the universe. So this is the easiest search you will ever make um, is, to, is to, to look my name up and find me on LinkedIn. We'll definitely look his name up. Connect with Jamie. Jamie, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. Uh, thanks so much for having me. This is awesome. As always, and until next time, be well, do good. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.